what's happening, everybody? Welcome into the Philly Experience Podcast. My name is Max Gretzola, joined as always by WIP's Tyre Hood and WHIP's Tanner Gilmartin. Gentlemen, a trade, a roster decision that was made this week with regards to the Philadelphia Phillies. Pretty eye-opening, and as well, another trade went down with George Hill, and of course, I'm, I'm sick of this trade. The Eagles made to move back to pick 12. So, so much to get into. But first, how you guys doing? Ah, uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm fairly decent, fighting off allergies, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, same with me. Allergies, but you know that that's what that's what comes with this good weather that yeah. we're having right now. Yeah. Excited to um to get out there, enjoy the nice weather, and you know sports are picking back up too with the Phillies. Yeah, but they can keep this allergy stuff though. Seriously, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I think with us, Philly's been in Florida obviously for the past you know two three months, whatever it is. They're going to come back. I'm sure there'll be days where it's like today in the 60s, but there might be other days still down the road where it could get back into the 40s. So they might have a little bit of a rude awakening when they get off that plane to come back to Philadelphia. So (laughs) we got a a major trade happening. That's what we're going to start with, with the Eagles trading back to pick 12. And the details of the trade uh, are as follows. So the Eagles moved from six back to 12. They also gained a fourth round pick later on in this year's upcoming draft and also a 2022 first round pick from the Dolphins in exchange. That is blasphemous. Pick number six, which will go to Miami Dolphins and also a fifth round pick as well for this upcoming draft for Miami. So I think now that we've had a couple of days to digest what's gone, what's gone wrong, what's gone right, I think in the city um, with opinions as far as do you agree with the decision? Do you not agree with the decision? I think at first a lot of people had the you know assumption that oh okay they're still going to get a good player at pick 12 and some people think well why not just get the sure thing at pick six so T, i'll go to you first mm-hmm. when you first heard the deal has your opinion changed since then and if not why so my first opinion was oh boy howie roseman he added again all right this is my, honestly this was my first initial reaction i'm not kidding man there you go with that Bullshit. Like, I'm so serious. That was my initial reaction. I'm like, why? Why would you move back? All right. You're in a primary position where you're at number six. All right. You get to pick a top 10 pick in the draft. All right. You're rarely in this position. Okay. You have an opportunity to draft a playmaker for whoever the hell's going to play quarterback, whoever the hell that you have confidence in. What do you do? You trade back to the number 12 spot. Sure, you pick up an extra additional, what was it, an additional fourth-round pick and an additional uh, first-round pick in 2022. Okay, that's a nice haul. Now, that's what I started saying to myself as I calmed down. Here's where my frustration still boils over. Do I like the move? Eh, somewhat. I would have liked the move if they would have did it on draft day instead of thinking thinking that you know what a team is going to do, the teams, what the teams are going to do before you that draft. You never know what's going to happen in the draft. We all know that, okay? So for you to think and predict that you know exactly what's going to happen, that was that was a stupid move. You, you think you're the smartest person in the room again. That's not a good look, okay? But in terms of what we got out of the draft, out of the trade, It's excellent if you look at it on paper. I mean, look, the Philadelphia Eagles have the opportunity. We already have two first-round picks in 2022. They have the opportunity to get three first-round picks if Carson Wentz plays the amount of snaps that he plays. So, in hindsight, it looks good. But at the same time, 
Howie is really betting on himself because there's virtually no way you would have messed this up picking six overall in the draft. Now you're at 12 where you're now you, you could still pick up a decent player, but now you're subject to whoever's left at 12 where you pretty much had the primary, you had primary real estate with whatever player fell to you at six, whether that be Kyle Pitts, Devontae Smith. All right. Jamar chase. You had an opportunity to draft one of those players. Should they have fought Should they have fallen due to the fact that a lot of these teams are really looking at the quarterbacks in this draft. So you kind of messed yourself up there in that, in that situation. And you also are betting on yourself thinking that you're going to be able to pick up a perennial player at 12. Howie Roseman is betting on himself. And you know what? For the Eagles sake, I really hope, I really hope he bets well, because should he mess this up? Oh, he's gone. He's gone. Yeah, my first reaction was utter confusion. I saw this post, the Eagles trade their sixth overall to the Dolphins um, for their 12th and, you know, and so forth. And I thought it was a fake post. You know how often we see these fake posts leading up to the draft Too often. and making fun of Howie Roseman's choices. Um, and I, I really did think this was fake. I had to check with multiple sources. And so this move, my first reaction after the confusion was, well, there goes our chance at Pitts and Jamar Chase uh, automatically. We just gave up our rights for them. I was trying to look on the bright side. Maybe Smith will be there at 12. Um, but then after all this, I see that the Eagles were actually trying to get that third overall pick, which now the Niners have, um, because they wanted Zach Wilson. And this is just the worst part because you have the owner of the organization going out and saying, Jalen hurts is our guy. Then you have the GM of the team doing something completely different, really just arguing that fact he wants he's get, stupid. wants to get a rookie quarterback to bring in um, behind a guy who thinks he's the starting quarterback of this team. It doesn't make sense. We're already trying to ruin this relationship before it starts. We saw what happened with Carson Wentz. Uh, this is absolutely absurd. Um, it, to tell a guy he's going to be the leader of this team and then to go behind his back and try to get that third overall pick. And now he has to find out from social media, probably because Howie Roseman didn't tell him. It's just ridiculous. And this team just keeps digging itself into a deeper and deeper hole. And T, you're right. Now, if Chase and Pitts turn out to be a top five player, Howie Roseman has to be done here, unless he has some sort of dirt on on Jeffrey Lurie that keeps him in Philadelphia. I don't understand his decisions the past couple of years. I don't understand the transactions before the deadline. I just don't understand anything, and I don't know what direction this team's going into. Are we going to help Jalen Hurts by drafting a wide receiver, or are we going to go onto the secondary and help out with that? I'm not sure, but what this is is just a confusing position to be in. Yeah, I'm scrambling through a couple of mock drafts here, and I've gone through three, and the, they say that the Eagles are drafting three separate players here. One of them says Jalen Waddle will be there at pick 12. One of them says Devontae Smith will be there at pick 12. The other one says J.C. Horn will be there at pick 12. So I think for me, first of all, is I was surprised because 
like an hour before the Eagles trade went down, the Niners and Dolphins trade went down, right? Where the Dolphins actually traded back to pick 12. And I was like, okay. And then an hour later, they moved back up to six. I'm like, wait a second. Why don't they just keep their their third pick? So I was confused at the fact that they were to move back and then move you know, directly right back up again. So that's where I had some pause. But once the stories came out and reports came out, obviously it was true. And started to think, well, like Tanner said, well, there goes our chance of getting like Jamar Chase or, or Pitts or whoever the offensive lineman from Oregon falls to us, uh, Penny Sewell. So now that I've had time to just think about it and really digest it, I kind of like the deal because we have so many holes on this. And not only that, it really kind of sets in stone that Jalen Hurts will at least probably get this year to just showcase what he can do. Now, the great of the fact that we try to go up to three and get Zach Wilson. So, you know, it goes both ways. I think now that we're at pick 12, it gives us a great opportunity to still get, you know, J.C. Horn, a cornerback, which we need, maybe a Rayshon Slade or somebody like that who can step in and basically be a plug-and-play immediately on that offensive line. Um, Devontae Smith has fallen in mock drafts because of his size, so it's definitely a possibility he'll still be there. Jalen Waddle as well. I think at the end of the day, to try to convince you guys that this is a good deal, is the holes on this team are, is just eye-opening. I know you want to go up there and get that star player, but here's the thing. A report came out that, Jamar Chase is, you know, highly touted by the Cincinnati Bengals organization right now. And they want to pair Jamar Chase back with Joe Burrow, you know, his college quarterback. So, you know, a reach for Pitts at Pitts, pick six, is that something you really want to do? Some people will say yes. Some people will say no. I'm not too sure about that. I know he's a great player and a great athlete. He's kind of one of those positionless players that we've talked about, wide receiver, tight end threat. But when you go back down there to pick, 12 you still have a crazy amount of talent this high up and also you know you play out this year whether it be you get a receiver or a cornerback hopefully whatever whichever one you get stays healthy we saw last year Jalen Reger was unable to stay healthy and then you go into 2022 and you know depending off Carson Wentz plays 75 percent of the snaps there in Indianapolis you could have three first round picks so I guess the main thing is you just have to bet on Howie Roseman I know it's hard to say right now because of his track record but I think the main point is if even if he he hits on this pick and then we got to wait a year to see, okay, what's he going to do in 2022? At least you can say, okay, look at pick 12. We got ourselves a player, which is the hope going into, you know, this upcoming season. I still prefer to get, you know, Jalen Hurts a weapon uh, on the offense. I know people will say, grab that defensive lineman, grab the cornerback. I think there's an edge rusher too out of Michigan who's drafted around the same spot. So I don't think we can go wrong. I know we've debated this multiple times, uh, defense versus offense, but if we can get a Devontae Smith that, that magically falls to pick 12, I mean, that would be pretty crazy. I know you guys can both agree with that. I, was I think to... what I want to bring <laughs> up first, uh, T, I'll let you get to your point uh-huh. after, is the future that this, that, that this whole, that these picks hold. Because as T mentioned earlier, we're looking at, the Eagles are looking at potentially three first-round picks next year if Carson Wentz plays 75% of the snaps uh, for the Colts. And this can go two ways into the future. Either um, we could the Eagles could use these, at least two of these um, first-round picks to trade for a guy like Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, depending on how that situation goes. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get the Eagles are going to get a guy like that. I'm saying it could be used to trade for a guy like that with the quarterback um, stature, but also it could be used to draft three 
potential great guys next next year's draft. Now we don't know a lot about next year's draft. Um, but as time goes on, as we watch games, there's going to be guys that are going to be talked about a lot. And there's going to be guys that are going to be game changers uh, for this team. So it's going to be interesting to see how Howie Roseman, if he's successful on this draft pick, how he sort of plans it out at the future for this team. Max, a couple things that you said, um, especially in terms of what the Bengals can do. Um, I know you said that they want to uh, reunite um, Jamar Chase and Joe Barrow, and that's perfectly fine. I, I've seen mock drafts that have that, but also here's the thing. Here's the reason why Joe Burrow didn't even make it through his first season in the NFL, and it was the inability to keep him upright on that offensive line. That's where a guy like Penesul would – kind of shore up that blind side for Joe Burrow and you start to build around for Joe Burrow. Yes, I yes. In order for a quarterback to be successful, yes, he has to have receivers and playmakers around him. However, given that the quarterback still has to have time to get that ball to those receivers. So it's not necessarily a guarantee that Jamar Chase is going to be the pick at number five. That being said, you still could have had an opportunity to draft him. Now in the position that we're in can we still draft someone? Yes, I said that. Now, a lot of people have said defense. Me personally, just from the scouting report that I'm still putting together completely of the first round, I don't see an edge rusher that's really worthy of that 12 overall pick. I don't. That's just me personally. A lot of people have said Micah Parsons, a linebacker out of Penn State, is um, a guy that the Eagles should consider. I've seen that too. Um, there has been some character issues that have been brought up locally. All right, about Micah Parsons. All right, so I'm not sure if that's necessarily going to be the pick. All right, if anything, I say they need to go offense, and if Jalen Waddle is there, you draft Jalen Waddle. I highly doubt Patrick Sertain is going to be there because I suspect that the Cowboys are going to pick him up, so I don't think he's going to be there. So the only other corner, if you are looking at a corner in the first round to pick at the number 12 position is J.C. Horn. Now, J.C. Horn is an excellent prospect. I, there's no doubt about that. So I wouldn't have a problem with, you know, the, any player that they drafted that position, whether it be offense or defense. My point being is my, my entire beef with this is Howie Roseman betting on himself. And I'm sorry, but Howie Roseman's track record of betting on himself is absolutely horrible. And I just do not agree with that. All right. I do not trust Howie Roseman when it comes to drafting. Do I trust Howie Roseman when it comes to trading? Yeah. I do. He's he's earned my trust in terms of trades. All right. He's earned my trust in terms of bringing certain talent up in here. But in terms of drafting talent from college, he has not earned my trust yet. That's where I have my concern. Yes, we've yes, we can talk about and we can get into also. That's probably another topic for another day. What Howie Roseman can do with those two, potentially three first round picks next year. However, I don't agree with trading for a 33 year old Russell Wilson, no matter how talented he is. Deshaun Watson, me personally, I would kind of see how the situation plays out down there in Houston with everything that's coming out. So I wouldn't necessarily hitch my wagon to that either. All I'm saying is Howard Roseman's betting on himself. And I truly hope that, you know, for the Eagles' sake, that it, it's a good bet. Because otherwise, Howie Roseman won't be Teflon Don in this city anymore. He's going to be out. And, Tanner, you brought up an excellent point. I'm sick and tired of this damn confusion with this damn franchise. All right? I'm sick of it. Okay? 
Please, y'all, sit down and make a damn decision that everybody's in agreement with so that when you present yourself to the media, you don't look like a bunch of babbling idiots. All right. I'm sick of the fact that the owner said we're going to hitch our wagon to Jalen Hurst for at least a year or two. And then rumors come out that Howie Roseman tried to trade up to the number three pick and draft damn Zach Wilson, who I've said continuously really does not deserve to be drafted that high. But you know what? That's a rant for another day. Anyway, just... Listen, T, y'all, just be collective about y'all decision. That's all I'm saying. T, I think the Eagles need to stay away from the storylines. You're talking about um, the personality issues with uh, Parsons, and I don't. I personally don't think the Eagles should look at that too deeply because you, you go into last year's or two years ago at this point with um, with DK Metcalf and all, all the rumors about him, and you know that that's part of the reason he is not an Eagle, um, and that hurt. That that hurt the Eagles definitely. What, with DK Metcalf, it was more injury issues. Injury, it was injuries too. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, Howie Roseman looks too far into the storylines. Um, he he doesn't trust his gut. Sometimes he goes with a completely left field type of guy. Um, with we go to Jalen Rager. Um, not a guy we were expecting to be drafted by the Eagles, but there he is. And then. You have you have guys like Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Kelsey to really control the locker room too. I'm not more so worried about locker room issues. I mean, this team's going to yeah. have them anyway. T, they're yeah. going to have them anyway. And then you go to this press conference with Joe Flacco, and it wasn't clear that he was going to be the backup quarterback. He didn't say he was coming in to to mentor uh, Jalen Hurst. That none of that was made clear, and that's also something that worries me too. This guy thinks he's going to be the quarterback, starting quarterback. There's going to be a competition. In, in his head. Now, I don't think there realistically will be a competition. I think Joe Flacco's days are behind him. But just the thought of not declaring that this guy is going to be the mentor, it just confuses me even more, T. And what the, the Eagles need to do is draft the best player available. Yeah, you know what I think is crazy? Uh, I'm sure you guys saw this. The Eagles put out on social media uh, a, a highlight reel of Joe Flacco, like a minute highlight reel of him uh, in all of his highlights <laughs> when Denver, uh, his few, uh, I'll, I'll say that with the Jets um, and then some with the Ravens. Uh, I don't remember them doing that for Chase Daniel. So that's what kind of scares me. Like <laughs> this guy's coming in here well, and I got the music playing in the background. Come on. Let's be honest here. Chase Daniel didn't exactly have a highlight reel coming in. Jay- Chase Daniel got paid for sitting on the bench. I-, I wish I was Chase Daniel right now, but that's besides the point. I think, listen, the Joe Flacco deal bothers me because, and I think it bothers me more than others because people look at it like, ah, oh, what did he get? You know, three, four million dollars to be a backup quarterback. It is what it is. But with the with the problem the Eagles have in their cap situation, overspending, I'm, I'm hearing rumors that they outbid teams like the 49ers for his services as a backup quarterback. And then, like Tanner mentioned, to not even talk to him in the meeting about being the backup and a mentor. Like, dude, this is what you're coming in here to do. And Howie Roseman then tell him that. And Howie Roseman comes in here as, same thing with Nick Sirianni preaching competition and things like that. I just I don't understand it. You're much better off signing somebody like a Colt McCoy or somebody. Like, listen, if Jalen Hurts goes down, the season's over anyway. What's the difference between having Colt McCoy, for example, or Alex Smith, for example, rather than the, Joe Flacco? I think the What's season the is over before it even damn near started. To be honest exactly. with you, <laughs> and one of those guys like like McCoy or somebody like that will cost you one million, uh, and the other one like Joe Flacco is going to cost you four million. That's three million dollars there. You can go out. You could have gotten like a Mark Ingram, use Mark Ingram uh, like a Legarrette Blunt type of role. And people want to come at me, uh, you know, if they say, oh, well, Mark, Mark Ingram is not going to be, uh, you know, a big contributor to the team. 
yeah, we'll, we'll know crap. But the, the issue with that is you're only, you're only going to need them to get on there the one one yard line. Don't have Jalen Hurts try sneaking it in and getting hurt and things like that. Just use him in a blunt, Garrett Blunt role. Have him punch things uh, into the end zone. Give him like six carries a game and and use him with a combination of you know Miles Sanders as, as the speed guy, like how they did a few years back when they were successful. That's my issue with the whole Joe Flacco deal. And I think people are kind of brushing that under the rug right now. We want to focus on the trade and, yeah, uh, very understandable why. But Joe Flacco, I think he was in the media for like two days and then, okay, well, he's our back quarterback. But no, like we overpaid for a guy who's not going to see the field. And even if he does, the season's over anyway. And like T said, it's probably over before it started. But I do want to bring this up to you. You guys brought up a good point about, you know, Jamar Chase. Will he or will he not get taken by the Bengals? And if he doesn't, then at pick six, because of the fact that all those quarterbacks probably will get taken. There's been a ton of trades. Panthers are still rumored to even try to jump up into the top five, possibly, and get a quarterback themselves. Do you take the stance on betting on the fact that pick six, if we can go back and redo it, stay there, and just you think, but uh, both of your opinions, that Jamar Chase will be there, and basically you say that Sewell will get taken at pick five, and then you have a stud in Jamar Chase? Or do you bet, bet on the fact that there's so many quarterbacks getting taken high or t- getting taken with a high pick? that you know there's going to be talent that falls and there'll be a diamond in the rough there not, not a diamond in the rough is probably a poor choice word but you know a stud that might have gone higher had there not be that quarterback run early on what side of the corner are you on with that well first off i still would have took my chances and stayed at six because it's like you said everybody wants to run these quarterbacks everybody's trying to trade up and once again you really don't know what a team's going to do and pretty much until they until they make their draft pick like i'm sorry we're still what three, four weeks out from the NFL draft. So a team can change their mind about a prospect within that time. Like their decision, the only decision that's like a stone cold guaranteed lock is the Jacksonville Jaguars drafting Trevor Lawrence. That's a stone cold guaranteed. All right. Uber mega lock. All right. That's the only one though. Everybody else has the ability to change their minds. So I would have stayed put and if the draft scenario, if that same draft scenario presented itself on draft day, and let's say that the Bengals did pick uh, Jamar Chase, then I would entertain that trade because then I'm like, okay, so my main, the main guy that I really wanted got just got drafted. So let me go back and let me let me try to go for the one B guys because there's plenty of one B guys, but. Kyle Pitts could possibly still be there. All right, without revealing what I've written about him in my draft report that I'm looking at right now, Kyle Pitts is a stinking beast. All right. You could have easily utilized someone like Kyle Pitts in any offense. I don't care what offense you run. Kyle Pitts is a mismatch nightmare for defenses. So you still could have picked somebody of real value at at that sixth spot. So trading down now, it it's just it doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. Yeah, T, I'm completely with you. you. You bring up a lot of good points. And I think if Jamar Chase is drafted at fifth, um, that's when you look towards the future, uh, like we were talking about in this. You look what other teams are going to offer up for that sixth overall pick. A lot of teams are going to want that sixth overall pick. But for me right now at 12, I know that the Giants and Cowboys, of course, they're drafting right above us. They're going to draft the guys that the Eagles need to draft. Um, that's just how it works when it when it's a division rivalry like, like that in the draft. We saw it when we drafted Dallas Goddard, when the Cowboys wanted him instead, when the Eagles drafted Dallas Goddard. And it's just going to be – it's really up in the air at this point now. I see many ma- mock drafts, and Max, you brought it up. There's 
uh, there's not a similar a, a similar name in each mock draft. Uh, who's getting drafted? I'm not sure which way the Eagles are going to go. I'm not even sure which guy that they've really been following um, the entire draft. Now, of course, uh, Smith has been talking to Jalen Hurts a lot, um, but I want to know organization standpoint. Uh, who have they really been paying attention to? Whose pro day did they stay at the longest? Um, who did whose agent did they talk to? I'm not even sure about that. And I think this is up in the air now. I see Horn um, going in, in, a, in one mock draft. And I per- personally, I looked up his highlights. I didn't see anything spectacular. I didn't see anything that would make me want to pick, want to want the Eagles to pick him over um smith or any other guy i personally didn't see that but if it's what we're gonna have to have it's what we're gonna have to have and we're gonna have to settle for it at 12 instead of drafting a potential star at number six now real quick the thing with jc horn is he's not gonna have a whole lot of highlights because he's the perennial shutdown corner he's not one of those guys who's a ball hawking guy who's gonna go out and go get interceptions all the time he's a guy like Darrell revis i'm not gonna compare him to, to Darrell revis i'm not gonna go that far but just to, just to call him a shutdown corner where you can pretty much put him on an island and isolate him against a receiver, and you, and you know that that receiver's blanketed. So J.C. Horn is that type of corner, but go ahead. Actually, isn't Darrell Revis's son in this draft? Oh, uh, man. That, man. grandson, a family member at that so. point. But, yeah, T, I see your point. But it's just not a guy that we're settling. You know, I said it last time. We're settling at this point instead of getting a top guy at number six. Now, the rest of these guys just it feels like the Eagles are going to settle. And it really is a game changer already because the Eagles aren't going to get that number six pick. And this team isn't going to be solely improved skill wise in the wide receiver position as they once were assumed to be. Yeah, Darrell Reeves' son, Jaden Reeves. It doesn't say anything here about him being drafted, but no. uh, if he has any sort of talent like his dad, I'm sure he will uh, possibly one day. But um, listen, guys, we could talk on this about this all day with, with the Eagles, right? And picking, you know, whether it be 12 or, you know, talk about their second, third, fourth, whatever. We have the most picks in this draft, is my point where I was getting to 11 picks, the most in the draft. The Seahawks have the least. So, I think the turmoil there with Seattle and Russell Wilson getting serious. Who knows? Maybe the Eagles throw a bunch of picks their way, and who knows? Maybe a month from now, Russell Wilson's on the team. I don't know. The NFL is so unpredictable. I don't think the odds are in the favor of that, but I'm not saying I'm even in favor of it, but who knows what the NFL these days. But I think from from a from a draft position and a trade, we got to flip it over to you know roster decisions and you know final predictions are behind us, and we have everything set in stone for the opening day roster on Thursday against the Atlanta Braves. So I think when you look at this team and everything going up through spring training with the Philadelphia Phillies, you have to talk about the center field position. And we know it came down to three names, Odubel Herrera, Andrew Adam Hazley. McClutchin. Yeah, Andrew McClutchin needs to step it up this season. Hopefully he'll be able to play majority of the time out in left field team. But in center field, Adam Hazley, Roman Quinn, and Odubel Herrera were the three names that we were looking at. Mm-hmm. And for me – I'm surprised that Herrera was the one to get cut loose. He had a pretty hot start to spring training. He towed off a little bit there towards the end. And, of course, you know, you have the domestic violence issue still lingering with the PR folks who I'm sure aren't too impressed with that and don't want to have to deal with that headache. But when you look at this overall team, if you had to 
pick the roster, at least from the center field position to start with in this conversation and just focus on that specifically. Do you agree with the fact that Odubel Herrera was the worst out of the three options in center field, or do you think there was more uh, involved than just, you know, his production on the field? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think Odubel Herrera was the worst of the group, to be honest. Honestly, it was a very competitive group, honestly, um, going in. Um, Before we even started, I had voiced that, you know, I I had – like everybody else, I had doubts about Mickey Moniak really, you know, coming into this year. But, you know, he stepped up to the plate as well. And he and he's hit pretty decent in spring training. So I'm I'm surprised that he got option. Well, I'm not surprised he got option too. Maybe he needs just a little bit more development. Maybe the team thinks that, you know, maybe he needs just a little bit more development and consistency just to make sure that, you know, maybe this kid really gets it now. But I honestly thought that Dubo Herrera was gonna get was going to get the position because it's like you said he was one of the hottest you know he was one of the hottest guys in spring training so you know it was hard not to it was hard for the team not to say you know hey this won't be the guy but they did ended up um giving giving the center field position to uh shoot who they give the center position to yeah they did give it to adam hazley so I'm, i'm surprised about that but um, and Roman Quinn as well. The thing with Roman Quinn is, man, he Roman Quinn and Adam Hazley. First off, those guys have got to stay healthy. That's my main thing. It's one thing to bring them up, and yes, they have a pretty decent spring training, but they got to stay healthy. That's my, you know, Roman Quinn. He's an okay hitter. Adam Hazley, okay, he yes, he got he has some pop to him. Roman Quinn just really has speed. But if these guys can't stay healthy for me in the long run, you know. Eventually, we will have to go to Odubel Herrera eventually. And that's the thing. So can these guys stay healthy is the main question in an outfield. Yeah, T, you bring up a great point with health, and they're going with Adam Hazley, a guy who has been more productive um, batting-wise um, and one of the most productive on the Phillies in spring training. Now, despite the the videos of Odubel Herrera hitting a couple home runs, um, those are just the things that the media is putting out. He has struggled. Um, in spring training. Um, and that's, you add that with the drama adding to his name. I think it was, it was made an easier decision to, to have him at an alternate site and have Adam Hazley at the starting center. Now they didn't completely give up with Odubel Herrera. He's 29 years old now, right. um, but they're, they're still giving him a shot to revive his career. Um, now they're going to have a, a platoon of center fielders, um, you have Roman Quinn backing it up, and I think it's going to rotate quite often. We saw it before. We, we saw this happen in, in another season. But Roman Quinn is a guy that's always on the injury report, always. Um, he He's very fast. Uh, when he is on base, he's dangerous. Um, he just needs to stay healthy because he can be a, a big part of this team uh, base running-wise. Um, now he's a switch hitter, which this this lineup needs. Um, but he, he is more productive. I think it's on the right side uh, of the plate. Uh, he's more productive. So he gets on base. He's a nuisance for the pitcher. He's distracting the pitcher. Um, and then you have the rest of this lineup. You got JT Ramuto, Hoskins, Harper, all, all these guys who can bat DD. And you look at those 
small parts, the small positions of the field. Now, albeit it is center field, but you can afford to have at least one batter who's not as great as the right. others, uh, as long as you have a position in the outfield taking. Now, I'm not confident, and I think the Phillies are going to make a big move. Dombrowski's going to make a big move before this, um, and, and he's going to get another piece for this team later on in the season to really help them push to um for playoff baseball first time in what since 2011 yep um and it's i think that they're gonna make a big move and i don't think anyone's really sold on the outfield yet but i think we will be in a couple months not only real quick max before you get started i'm i'm also not sold 100 percent on the rotation all right, you got Aaron Nola, and that's really the only guy that I'm really 100% confident in. Zach Wheeler was very up and down this past um, this past season. Zach Eflin, Matt Moore, and Chase Anderson. I mean, those aren't guys that you're necessarily going to write home about. I mean, sure, our, our relief pitches are a whole lot better, but, you know, the starting rotation is still in question a little bit too. I think you have to look at the the numbers uh, first of all. I guess in spring training now, I, I've you know I'm baseball first at heart, so I know kind of the skill set. All three of these guys, there there isn't one player that's better than the other two at any single area, right? You know Roman Quinn's fast when he's on base; he can turn a single into a triple. Uh, he can turn a walk and, and into a triple, maybe even sometimes stealing bases and things like that, taking taking extra bases. But again, like Tanner said, he he gets hurt a lot. And he also brought up a great point that I was going to bring up, which was he's a switch hitter. And that's something he has a leg up on with Herrera being a, a lefty and Hazley being a lefty. The fact that he can hit from the right side of the plate is key. He's the fastest guy on the team. He can cover a lot of ground in center field defensively. So the fact that he's a right-handed hitter, I think is the reason why he got the job. And I think out of all three of the players skill set wise, when you'd say, oh, who's the best baseball player? I think Roman Quinn's the third out of out of those two guys. I think Herrera's a better player, and I think Hazley's a better player. But when you have a skill set you bring to the table that nobody else on the team does, and you have the opportunity to hit from the right side of the plate, that's where you have a leg up on the other competitors because you look at the who the Phillies kept, right? They kept Matt Joyce as a left-handed bat off the bench, right? They kept Brad Miller, a left-handed bat off the bench. Adam Hazley's a left-handed bat. So then you really look at who Ronald Torres as a utility guy who was able to beat out Scott Kingery for the utility man position. And then you have Andrew Knapp, who again, another switch hitter as a bench piece, not going to see too many pitching opportunities, but again, he's going to be a bench guy on this team because you carry five bench players and he's a switch hitter as well. So you needed another right-handed bat to make things even. And that's where Roman Quinn comes into play. Now look at the spring training stats. You have Roman Quinn who hit 270. A lot of that was because he had a hot streak right in the middle of the smack dab in the spring. He started out uh, poorly, and he actually finished poorly. Uh, the last few games of spring training was actually – he was swinging at pitches that were bouncing up there. I don't even want to talk about it. It was embarrassing. Okay. But Adubo Herrera hit 231. He, he, he started out super hot, and he, he didn't finish well at all. That's no, probably no. one of the reasons why he didn't make the team as well because we were talking about him you know, two weeks ago and thinking, wow, well, I mean, he's running away with this, right? Yep. I mean, he's beating out Roman Quinn. He's beating out Adam Hazley. And Hazley was another question because he got hurt, right? Only had 19 at-bats during the spring. And that's, you know, what came the question where is he going to be able to make the team? And he came back. And, of course, I think he finished 4 of 12 when he came back that final week of the spring. Now, you know what I think happened to to Odubel was that he didn't play for a whole year before this. He goes to spring training. Now, he starts off great and we're surprised, but he ran out of steam because he's not used to playing. Um, this many games, of course. I mean, none of us are really, but it, he 
took that year off. Now I'm sure he was probably training. Um, but it's that's also something to look at. He he might be able to build up the stamina um, um, for the other for the alternate site. But um, it was just the right choice on 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 a few different fronts to yeah. go with Adam Hazley and Roman Quinn. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that statement. It, you know, talking about those fronts, you know, you know, first off, like you said, um, Herrera did start to temper off his hot streak towards the end of spring training, not to mention the fact of, you know, he was off for an entire year. And also, you know, given the controversial situation that he was in and we've already talked about before, yeah, Adam, yeah, Adam Hazley was the right decision going forward. Now, is it going to stay that way? Probably not. I would say, honestly, the true starting center fielder is not on this roster yet. I, I do believe um, Dombrowski will make a trade. It's a great point. I'm nervous about it because center field, one of the most important positions, you got to be, you know, the man of the outfield. You're playing, you know, both gaps uh, in left center and right center field. Roman Quinn can, ke- you know, keep up with, you know, the balls in the gaps and he can carry. Ke- keep keep up and you know cover a lot of ground but at the end of the day i don't think there's a true major league center field on this team because hazley can hit hit for contact very well he's not the fastest guy in the world he can't cover the most ground out in center field he doesn't have the strongest arm um but he does bring uh pure contact to the table and i think he can probably hit for the highest average then you have herrera who can bring a lot of pop to the table as well uh decent center fielder for the most part he's probably the middle of the three as far as defense out in center field and and Quinn again, like we stated, his skill set. So I want I want to flip flip the script here and talk about you know the bullpen because we know we're going to score a lot of runs and we have a great lineup and we have Andrew McCutcheon and, and Reese Hoskins. I don't know how it's specifically going to play out, but you you have Harper, Rimley, Joe Bohm, and Gregorius. That's a solid top six right there with Segura and then whoever your center fielder is on that given day. I think rumor is because of the fact that Max Fried is going to start on Thursday uh, with the Braves coming into town that, that because he's a lefty. Roman Quinn will probably get the nod uh, in center field opening day. But when you look at this bullpen and go through the eight names that made it, and some people are going to question if, you know, for for example, should Vince Velasquez have made it? Uh, should David Hale have made it? Guys like that. I think when you look at the names, and I'll read them off to you right now, Hector Neris, Archie Bradley, yeah, Jose yeah. Alvarado, Connor Brogdon, Brandon Kinsler, Vince Velasquez, David Hale, and Sam Coonrod. Those are the eight guys that made the, the bullpen for the Phillies. Now, if you ask me and you look at the names, the guys that you see coming out of the bullpen and you have confidence in that can get some outs, at least um, in some sort of fashion, is Archie Bradley. Um, obviously, I don't have to talk too much about him. We know no. his his days with the Diamondbacks. You know, he's a, he's a hard-throwing right-handed pitcher and can get some strikeouts. Jose Alvarado, the power lefty, the only lefty, mind you, that made this bullpen for this team, which scares me a little bit because you, you saw last season, we didn't have any power arms come out of the pen. Alvarado is one of them. And he's the only lefty. So it's going to be tough when you have to face, you know, ready lefty and Girardi's trying to figure out, you know, combinations of how to get guys out. He's only got one lefty to work with. So Connor Brogdon and, and Brandon Kinsler, Vince Velasquez, David Hale. So when you look at guys that I'm confident, again, Archie Bradley, Alvarado, Brandon Kinsler, who was the closer last year for the Marlins, we got him on a minor league deal. He came in and he made the team. And then Sam Coonrod, who is a new name, not too many people are familiar with, but this is a guy that had an ERA under one in the spring. And he's a power arm, throws a 98 miles an hour on average on his fastball. So those are four guys. Let me again, let me talk to you about the guys that I'm not confident in. Okay. David Hale. Let me let me remind you who David Hale is. He's a guy that they, we got from the Yankees at the at near the deadline last season. He came in last season and was absolutely atrocious. 
the reason why he made the team, people say, and reporters within, in the Phillies organization, he's a long man. Girardi wanted two long men out of, out of the bullpen that can give you two, maybe three innings, Velasquez being the other one. And that's why he had a leg up on Tony Watson, for example, who actually just got signed by the Angels yesterday, and, and other names that, you know, Jojo Romero even, who didn't make the team as well. I think when you look at this bullpen, the last guy I want to bring up before I throw it to you is Hector Neris. Okay. And I I don't know if I'm more annoyed at the fact that the the closer position at Hector Neris or the fact that Herrera didn't make the team out in center field. And I think if I had to choose one, I'm more angry at Hector Neris. Do we know it's hard? He made the team. Not because he made the team. Um, it's more the fact that I'm hearing every reporter say that he's going to be our closer going into this year. Are you absolutely kidding me? Our closer? <sighs> Has has Dombrowski, has Girardi being the manager, not watched the past three or four years of Hector Neres? Not not only a closer role, but just a bullpen role in general. Okay. He'll have an outing or two where he looks great. You know, his splitter is cutting really sharp, you know, into the dirt. He's getting swing and misses. But he is not a good pitcher. Uh, <laughs> now, based on default and his experience, I guess you have to throw him in the bullpen because you don't really have too many other names to work with. But as your closer over guys like Alvarado, who can throw 100 miles an hour, and Archie Bradley, who has closer experience as well. Somebody explain to me how he's going to come in here to start the season as the closer. I just don't understand. Like, do they want to lose baseball games? I guess is the question. <laughs> Listen, I, I got nothing. Y'all know how I feel about Hector Neres. And in case for all you new listeners out there that don't know how I feel about Hector Neres, let me put this plain and clear. Hector Neris sucks. All right. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And then, like you said, they're talking about making him the closer. Are you bleeping kidding me? Seriously. Man, there you go with that bullshit. Why? Why? Are we are trying to win games here. All right. The line is already set at the Las Vegas line is already set at 80 and a half wins for this team. Considering the tough division that we're in, please, for the love of God, do not make Hector Neres the doggone closer. I am trying to win games, not blow games. All right. I do not need to see flashbacks of last season with Hector Neres blowing games in the end when we had when we're up by two, three points. I'm sick of this. Yeah, Max, you mentioned Sam Coonrod uh, when talking about the bullpen, and this is a guy – I know you, you talked about his spring training, but this is a guy who had 982 ERA last season uh, with the Giants. Um, none of the, This isn't a solid bullpen, but this is an improvement. And, and I think, once again, this Phillies team is settling. I mentioned it with the Eagles settling, and now, now this Phillies team is settling, but they, they've improved. Um, they got what they can. But you mentioned Hector Nair as being the closer, and closing games was the biggest part of the Phillies season and why they weren't as good was because they could not close games. Hector Nair steps in, and there goes the game already. Um, he, he steps on the mound, and there's three runs scored. Um, it's ridiculous. It's almost as if he's playing for the other team at, at some times, and this isn't a guy – I mean, none of us here are confident in him, and we're not sure what Girardi and, and, and those guys are seeing in Hector Neres. But in order for this team to be better, already the lineup is similar to last season. Um, the bullpen is a little bit improved. Um, but you have a guy like Hector Neres closing out the game, and that's not going to get anything done. As Tannehill Martin once famously said. What's he here for? It's just... Yeah, listen, Hector Neres... 
um, and you guys know me being a baseball, I try to just, you know, be on the positive end of things with the Phils, but I can't do it anymore. Effective I simply cannot do it. And I get it. He's probably, like I said, by default, making the bullpen, but you cannot, you just cannot have him close games for you based on what he did last season. How many times have we texted each other last year in the chat over the summer and say, Oh, the Phils are up seven to five. We need three outs. Next thing you know, it's nine, seven and we're losing the game. I mean, it happened. And I swear it's happened. It happened three, four, five, six times last year with with Hector Neres coming to the game and blowing it. So that's where my frustration lies. And I swear to you, if he comes in this early in the season, the first week, and and he blows a save or two, we need every game. I mean, we we came within one game last season of making the playoffs in the shortened season. Every game, whether it be in April, whether it be in July, August, every single game matters. And I just cannot have him blowing any more saves for this Phillies team anymore. I'm just a bunch I, I of low lives all season, all off season as well about this. And I just, I just hope, you know, it might even be better for him to just blow a couple of saves early on. So they can just throw somebody else in there. Who's more talented. <laughs> That's what I stand. Now, you let me run through this you? whole list. Cause I know we're, we're, we're getting short on time here. We also need to talk about the Sixers, but I just want for all of our viewers out there to know um, the roster and, and, and who made it. So obviously everybody knows the starting five. You got Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Zach Eflin, Matt Moore, and Chase Anderson. That's basically been set in stone from the past, you know, a few months since spring training started. Um, then you have Hector Neris, Archie Bradley, Alvarado, Brogdon, Kinsler, Velasquez, Hale, Kunrod. We just went over the bullpen. Now here comes the lineup and the, and the position players. You have JT and Andrew Knapp. We knew that. Reese Hoskins, Segura, Bowman, Gregorius. I think the key is Reese Hoskins. He hit 205 in the spring. Will he be able to come back from his 2017-2018 form, um, or will he continue to be a guy who's going to hit below average? Because we really need him, you know, in the two or the four spot, whatever it may be, to produce for us up there. In the outfield, you have Bryce Harper, Roman Quinn, Adam Hazley, Andrew McCutcheon, and Matt Joyce. Led by Bryce Harper, Andrew McCutcheon, I'm nervous about 162 games at his age with his knee injury history. And then you have Matt Joyce, who is not accustomed to playing left field even on a platoon basis anymore. He's more of just a strict bench bat when you, you need him in a pitch hit role in the seventh or eighth inning. Brad Miller and Ronald Torres round out the team. I like the fact that Girardi, I'll give him credit, was able to pull the trigger on Scott Kingery. He signed that long-term contract. By default, again, I'm going to use that word because Scott Kingery, the guy that's been on this team, he, he was terrible last season. They never sent him down. He, he actually got pulled. He was a bench guy for a while. I'm happy that Joe Girardi saw the spring training numbers 40% strikeout rate, by the way, in the spring for Scott Kingery. And I was happy that Ronald Torres was able to make the team. That's where I wrap things up with. I know we have to move on and talk about the Sixers. It's going to be an interesting week for the Phillies. They open Again, they open up 305 start Thursday. I know we'll be covering the game and, and, and talk about the Phillies and their first few games next week on the show. So for, right. from a roster position and a roster sense of things and, and filling out the opening day roster to another Woo! trade. And that is George Hill being acquired from the Oklahoma City. Now, what is this with with the Oklahoma City Thunder? You know, a couple of <laughs> trades within you know five six months. Maybe they're, get, maybe they're getting you know the two GMs are getting to become best buds or something. I don't know. But George Hill able to come in here uh, as a bench role, be able to run the second unit. Hopefully, he's recovering from thumb surgery. We'll see when he'll be able to resume uh, basketball activity. Should be in the coming days. I know you guys probably wanted to see a bigger splash move like a Kyle Lowry or something like that to be really push us over the top. I'm fine with the move. I don't think this was the year to really go all in on Kyle Lowry again, a guy who I'm probably not as high on as you guys. I think he's 35 years old at the tail end of his career. Um, they wanted Matisse Seibel. They wanted Tyrese Maxey. They wanted, I believe, Danny Green and maybe one or two first-round picks for an aging Kyle Lowry. And again, on top of that, it's a guy that you had to re-sign two years, $60 million. 
I think people forget that. If you're going to bring in Kyle Lowry in a trade, do you really want to give him two years and $60 million? I'm sure as hell don't want to do that. And I'm hopefully you guys agree with me. I don't know. Um, but I'll, I'll give T the floor here first with this Kyle Lowry and then obviously George Hill being the guy that was acquired. So I don't mind. I don't mind the George Hill trade, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, it was pretty much the level of trade that I kind of expected that the Sixers was going to be able to make because, once again, the bench pieces that we have, albeit we complain about them, they're inconsistent. And also, you know, some of the starting pieces, such as Danny Green, you know, inconsistent as well. We complain about Danny Green as well. But the thing of the matter is, you know, they still make up the chemistry of the team. They still make up the, they still make up the, the bulk of the team. So it was going to be hard to bring somebody in who was a high caliber level, like Kyle Lowry. And I'm sorry. Like I, I completely agree with Daryl Morning not, not pulling the trigger on that trade. Like you're going to trade for an aging superstar for what one year. And then you're going to have to figure out how you're going to resign him. And then you're going to have to rebuild the bench all over again and rebuild the starting lineup again. No, if anything, you need to continue to try to, you know, do the same thing that you've been doing this entire season with the guys that you have. All right. You can, Continue to build on that bench in the offseason. All right. You can make a couple of trades in the offseason as well and try to bolster up this um try to bolster up this team once again. Now, here's the thing, and I'm not saying that the Sixers aren't gonna win. I'm aren't gonna come out of the East. I'm not saying that. But um it's getting really difficult to be optimistic when you look at the damn Brooklyn Nets who look like they're building the f- Avengers over there all right seriously so really I don't think I I just don't think this was the year to (laughs) to make huge trades I'm sorry like Iron Man on their team they got Superman on their team yeah exactly they mix in Marvel and DC and whatnot I'm sick of this shit man but but yeah I don't think this was the year to give up all those pieces those pieces are still Pieces that you can use to stay competitive. And who knows? Maybe you get to the playoffs and you see the Nets. You may be able to beat them. You may not be able to beat them. But Come on, Tanner. Tanner, play devil's just... advocate here. Come on, step in. Well, first <laughs> off, I want to see – I want to say, Max, let me see the receipts. Because in the beginning of these rumors, you were the guy telling us that the Sixers should go out and get Kyle Lowry. And I wasn't – I was really never behind getting Kyle Lowry and giving up this amount of, of – of, you get Kyle Lowry, but then there goes the rest of your team. Uh, you're backtracking at that point. It doesn't make sense. We have a great bench. Well, all right, let me, let me stop there. We don't have a great bench. Um, we have a bench that sometimes gets the job done. Sometimes their defense lacks in play. Like when we lose Dwight Howard to being ejected twice, um, two games in a row, um, you really see how it sort of, it can't be just Ben Simmons out there playing defense. Um, but we can be more comfortable now keeping Matisse, Steibel, uh, Maxi instead of an aging Kyle Lowry, like you both mentioned, this guy, he's aging. I don't think he was going to do a tremendous amount uh, on the Sixers. I don't think he was going to propel the Sixers over into the finals and make no. a difference like that. I, he, I think he was just another piece, but you can't be that disappointed in getting George Hill. Now, of course, initially I was disappointed in trading Tony Bradley, a guy who we saw starting to click for the Sixers, but then you go ahead and notice now, he Tony Bradley would not have been playing a lot more games with Joel Embiid returning and Dwight Howard um, not being ejected as much. Um, but it, the only concern was directly after uh, Tony Bradley gets traded and we acquire George Hill, that's when, uh, of course, Joel Embiid's still not playing. And 
you have to resort to Mike Scott because Dwight Howard was ejected. Now, Mike Scott, I'm not too confident in, of course, playing the center position. Doc Rivers said the next big guy was him to step into the game, um, and he joked about that. But uh, George Hill brings experience to the Sixers team, something that the Sixers team definitely needs, um, more of a mentor age-wise. Um, and I think now he hasn't played since, what, January uh, for that thumb injury. Um, so that's something of maybe a, a concern, a, a con against the draft. But I think George Hill will be a good piece to this team. I think I have some rephrasing to do because you're right. Again, I was all in on getting a starter. We talked about we talked about uh, what would you rather have on this team, a bench piece like a George right. Hill or a starter. And I was always in favor of the starter because it's about winning the championship. You obviously want the star player. The thing that for me that made me pause because I was again all the way up until you know the past few few days even before the trade deadline, I was all in on on getting a star. Um, whether it be Kyle Lowry, so be it. The thing that made me pause was the fact that Matisse Thibel has played incredible defense through throughout the past you know month or two and when you have a guy like that in the playoffs when you have to go up against a James Harden you have to go up against a Ky- uh, Kyrie Irving some guy that you can put in there in crunch time um, as a substitution to be able to at least try their hardest to lock one of these guys down as best they can that is something so valuable you cannot lose I was in I favor of giving up two first round picks maybe in Maxi um, but once that name Matisse Thibel came into the picture um, even Danny Green who, again, he's, he's a streaky guy. We saw him get super hot the other night, dropped like 28 points against the Lakers. So be it. Um, we've seen this happen before earlier this season. But the thing that made me pause is Matisse Stiebel, and people want to question about Matisse Stiebel is really your deal breaker. Like, why? I'm telling you, playoffs are a different animal. You're going to need a guy who can guard one through three on the wing like Matisse Stiebel can do and really be able to step up their game. Now, Shake Milton has been an issue, um, at least – recently early in the season he was able to really run that second unit very well score the basketball but also distribute and i think people are now starting to get a little sick uh maybe behind closed doors in the organization that he's more of a scorer right he's more of a shooting guard and a guy that not only can shoot the ball but wants to you know dribble drive get a couple floaters and and give you points off the bench he's not a guy that's going to initiate the offense george hill a guy not only can initiate the offense and, and distribute, but he can shoot 40% clip from three, mm-hmm. which is going to be needed for this team. So that's why I like the move. If Matisse Idol was not or did not have to be included in the deal for Lowry, I probably would have pulled the trigger on it. Danny Green, I know I we talk about him on the show all the time about how bad he sucks. And don't get me wrong, he's a three and D guy, more of a three guy than a D guy. We all know that his defense has not been great. But a guy that can just stand in the corner and shoot threes, streaky. But when you have a guy like Ben Simmons that can really create and just you know whip passes across the court to a Danny Green who's wide open in the corner, he's still hitting them. I know we want to rip on him, and I do all the time for shooting one of seven because I see it a lot. He's shooting you know thirty seven to thirty eight percent from beyond the arc, which is still above average for an NBA player. So not a guy I really wanted to get rid of, but somebody that I would have been totally disappointed if he was gone. But again, just just to answer the question here, Matisse Stiebel, I just I just couldn't do it. Not for Kyle Lowry at that age. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I that's where I stand on that position. To be honest with you, yeah, I I just didn't feel comfortable giving up that many assets. Not only that, but giving up that much youth for an aging talent who wasn't guaranteed to come back next year. I just wasn't comfortable with that. Now to add on to this, the, the trade deadline. One thing I'm disappointed in is seeing Oladipo go to the Miami Heat for such little price. It seems yes. like a guy who I think would have definitely been good <laughs> definitely on the Sixers I've been um, advocating for I've been uh, I've really wanted 
um, on the Sixers. And you look at the trade, Avery Bradley, um, Kelly Olnick, and a 2022 first-round um, draft pick. I, I think the Sixers could have got the job done with that too. And this, you wouldn't be looking at the Miami Heat. You'd be looking at more. I mean, everyone's already looking at the Sixers but more so proving their point. Now you have to go against a Nets team that Max brings up. I mean, and T too, this is an Avenger type team, but they're also playing the villains of the NBA and they're taking on that role. Um, And this is going to be a hard series uh, to play. And it's, it's definitely not good for the Sixers pathway to the finals. Not at all. I think two things you want, we want to touch on here before we wrap up the show. The MVP race for Joel Embiid. How how concerned are you that Embiid now missing three, maybe even four weeks with this knee injury? How much is that going to hurt his MVP race with James Harden? Almost every night it feels like dropping, you know, 38 points and again a triple-double. I know he played 40 minutes the other night, and he's doing it against the Pistons. He's doing it against the Minnesota Timberwolves. But stats don't lie. I mean, I'm, I'm getting kind of concerned at Embiid at this point. If they're not able to hold on to that one seed, will Embiid not win the MVP because just if he stayed healthy, I think he would have ran away with it. I think the only reason why Embiid's not going to get that MVP is the fact that he couldn't stay as healthy as he needed to be to win that award because I'm going to be honest with you, James Harden excuse me, is hitting these shots now, but come playoff time, will he hit these shots? You don't know what type of James Harden you're going to get come playoff time. And that's the thing. Like My definition of an MVP, um, real quick, is a person that you know, really makes up the bulk of the team, a, a player that a team can really can't really survive with. The Nets can survive without James Harden being streaky. All right. We really can't go far without Joel Embiid. The Sixers cannot go far without the presence of Joel Embiid. And also another thing, Kevin Durant, you got to be concerned. You know, I know people behind closed doors want to say, I'll have you back. You know, he's just nursing that hamstring. He's been out a hell of a long time now. And as the playoffs start to near, I'm sure he's going to step on the court and, who knows? He'll probably be the same Kevin Durant to give you 30 points a game and shoot over everybody because he's 6'11", whatever. Yeah, pretty much. But at this point, I don't know if they're resting him or if he's actually you know, hurt and something else is wrong there. That's true. Now, one thing I want to bring up is the MVP is based on a player's regular season performance. Um, and I think if Joel Embiid comes back um, after his absence, he's going to be fighting for that. He's going to be in number two. I, I believe right now it's Jokic, LeBron, Embiid, Harden. I believe in that order um, of the odds to win MVP right now. And I think Joel Embiid coming back, playing the same way he did, hopefully, um, he'll be able to definitely be ahead of James Harden. Um, and LeBron, too, I think. I think it's really going to go down to Jokic and how he plays. And I think... Embiid's going to step up with a game or two. He's going to take over that number two um, in the odds. And I think it's going to be a battle these last couple um, couple games for Embiid and, and Jokic to see who's really um, going to be on top. Now the Sixers are playing the Nuggets, uh, newly acquired Aaron Gordon. Um, it's going to be a, a tough, a tough fought game um, for the Sixers. And I think, if Joel Embiid's here against Jokic, that would be a, a terrific matchup and definitely a headline matchup. And that matchup alone would put them at the one and two spot. Yeah, for Jokic, I think just to wrap this up, T, Jokic is probably one of the MVP frontrunners right now. Tanner just mentioned the odds, but they're a fifth seed in the West. So I'm not too sure if that will have some sort of factor in the decision for people who make you know the MVP choice or whatever it may be. And lastly, the Sixers' schedule looks pretty easy. They got the Nuggets and the Cavs, and then they come back home. The Timberwolves, the Grizzlies, Celtics have been playing really poorly. The Pelicans, the Thunder, 
we could go on a, a winning streak here coming up five, six games if Joel Embiid could get back and be healthy. And we'll see how it all pans out. But uh, with that, we're out of time. And uh, T, it's up to you now. Let's shut it down. Sure. Uh, you guys missing any of this episode, you can always go to philly-experience.simplecast.com, available on all major downloadable platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All right. And like we've been broadcasting, we will be doing a live NFL draft reaction, so stay tuned for that. By the way, people, get your vaccinations. I'm getting mine tomorrow. So, you know, get your vax. It's an outrage. I am pissed off. I want winners. Let's go uh, have a ham sandwich.